Hey everyone, welcome back to Talking to the Internet. Again, I'm just so grateful for all of you that are out there listening, rating, reviewing, and sharing the show. I'm excited to announce that this episode is sponsored by Podcorn. As many of you know, if you've ever tried to start a show, you know there are costs associated with starting the show. There's equipment costs, there's hosting costs, and all of these things add up to the benefit of having sponsors or the benefit of having uh, patrons or, or having folks that will tip and, and provide resources for you. So um, when I started the show, I thought, you know, I'm going to dip my toe in the water here and try to figure out if I can get some folks to sponsor the show. I didn't have the resources and didn't feel like I had the clout to engage a third-party entity. Then I found Podcorn. So what is Podcorn? Podcorn is a super simple place for hosts of shows like me who are looking for sponsors to find folks who want to sponsor podcasts. You go in, there's a super simple dashboard where you can see who's willing or who's looking to sponsor a show. You can make your pitch to them. You can give them the style of the pitch that you want to do, or you can choose a couple different styles, whether it's an ad or whether it's a kind of a natural review or or something that you work into the show. You can browse and choose opportunities uh, that fit what you want to do. You can set your own rates. Uh, You can collaborate with brands uh, and you don't have to make exclusives. The best thing about it is you never give up rights to your podcast and Podcorn will support you. So I'm excited to have Podcorn as uh, the first sponsor of Talking to the Internet. Um, If you're interested in trying to find a sponsor for your show, I highly recommend you go to their website, podcorn.com, sign up, make an account, look at the available sponsorships right now, submit a couple pitches and see if anyone is interested in sponsoring your show. Thanks to Podcorn for sponsoring this episode of Talking to the Internet. Welcome, welcome to Talking to the Internet. It is my privilege today to have Quinn Rose uh, on the show. And Quinn is a freelance podcast producer and editor. She's the host of multiple shows about art and theater, including Corner of the Sky on the Incomparable Network and Setting the Stage. Uh, she's also the host of Pictorial on the Real FM Network. Quinn, welcome to the show. Hello, thank you for having me. So, Quinn, uh, you know, what I like to do is start out in the most general possible way, right? With the. Um, just tell us your story. Tell us how you got into talking to the internet. Oh dear. So I first started putting myself on the internet in any way, shape or form when, um, I was 19 in February of 2016, I released my first episode of a podcast called solidly mediocre. So before that point, I mean, I was barely on social media. I like barely had a Twitter account. I think I started like two months before that point. I did not know how to use Twitter really. And I just loved podcasts. I loved listening to them. I was a big fan of the Relay FM and the Incomparable Networks, which will become very relevant in a moment. And I, I like, I don't even remember what kind of decision making process there was behind like, oh, I should start a podcast. For me, it was a very natural thing of like, this is a thing that I love. So obviously, I should also try to make it, uh, which is an instinct that I've had to quell in recent years. So I don't do 100 things. But I started making this podcast called Solidly Mediocre, which was, uh, you know, you make what you know. So it was about college. I had my friends on in sort of a rotating panel where every episode was a, a different topic in college and I had different people talking about various things and I'd been doing that for a few months when I also started making YouTube videos. This was another thing that I just loved watching vloggers on YouTube and I decided to just make a channel. There wasn't 
a strong direction to it. It was just kind of whatever I felt like making. But one day I made a video called the Relay FM Alphabet, which was actually came from a game that I would play when I was waiting in lines. My dad and I, when I was a kid waiting in line for roller coasters, would play this game where you would pick a theme and you would make an alphabet out of it. So if it was like Star Wars, you'd go back and forth and like I'd say A is for Anakin and he would say B is for Boba Fett, etc. I played this game uh, with a friend of mine on the topic of Relay FM uh, because it was a podcast network that we both really liked. And I thought, hey, that's a good video idea. So I made this whole video of the Relay FM alphabet. I tweeted it out. And again, I really didn't understand how Twitter worked. I didn't think there was a high chance of anyone like actually seeing it. Okay. I yeah, there was like, yeah, you know, these people, they're not going to watch this. They did. Did you did you add them? Like how did how did you I did. Like I added like Mike and Steven, my curly and Steven Hackett and at like Relay. And I think I added Casey Liss because I <laughs> yeah, used his whole family whole in the family. video. <laughs> Um, and they obviously like all saw it because that's how Twitter works. And they're not like people with millions of followers where they're not keeping track of their mentions. <laughs> um, but this was all news to me at the time. So all these people saw it. And every that's where everything kind of changed for me. Um, and I've been working with uh, the Relay FM network ever since that point. Okay, so so there's a there's a gigantic leap there between I send out a tweet and then I'm working with the Relay FM network, right? So help us understand that, or at least I assume that there's a gigantic leap there. Like in my brain, you know, a tweet is a tweet, but at the same time, how did it, how did it morph into you actually starting to host shows on the network? Yeah, it was very weird. It was a combination of kind of being in the right place at the right time. Where So I put this video out. It caught a lot of people's attention. Um Everyone was so sweet about it. And then a bunch of people started following me on Twitter, which was terrifying. I cannot stress enough how much I had zero audience. Like, literally no one knew who I was. I had no followers. I had no listener. Like, this was nothing. So I was are me speaking right into the now. void. You are me right now. This is great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I guess. I don't, you know. <laughs> there's there's hope for me. That's my point. Is like, there's hope. At some point, I will have followers. Yeah. I, uh, my I don't know like I mean everyone has a weird story like everybody has their like weird thing that happened right and this was mine and so but the thing was that when um when I started getting a little bit of attention it if I if that video has been the only thing I'd ever done then that that just would have been the end of the story right um but because I had already been making this podcast um that some of them started listening to it and I uh, don't I can't really comment on the quality of Solidly Mediocre in the first few episodes. I don't think it was very high, uh, but I assume there was some kind of charm to it. <laughs> and more important than anything, I think I was clearly demonstrating that I had the ability to regularly make a podcast yeah, and to commit definitely. to that and that I cared about it. So, and then concurrent to this, which I didn't know, um, but I've sort of like learned since then, behind the scenes, this was a period of time when Mike and Steven, who founded and still run Relay FM, were looking to uh, bring more people into the network and to find people who were outside of their current audience um, to bring more women into the network. And so I sort of came in at this uh, lucky time where they were like oh this seems like a good candidate to work with so they reached out to me and said would you be interested in developing a show with us um and I like literally could not believe that was happening that was about six weeks after the video I think 
Um, and then I started working with them right away on a couple of ideas. And we launched a show called Mixed Feelings in November of 2016. So, so you, you literally made a thing with your friend, said, I'm going to make a video about this. And then six weeks later, you're working with a, a podcast network to think about shows and develop show ideas, right? I mean, that's, that's the timeline. Yeah, it was really weird. That's it was awesome. very overwhelming for me at the time. That is, that's so cool, though. I mean, it, it's ah, it's just so it's so neat to see how people's stories unfold, right? Because I've watched the video, um, your YouTube video. Which, if you're okay with it, I would love to put it in the in the show notes. Are you okay with that? Oh, sure. Okay. You know, it's me, little little nineteen year old me. <laughs> yeah, but still, it's 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 a testament to, I don't know, just the um, tenacity is not the right word. What's the right, what's the word I'm thinking of? Um, the excitement, the interest, the just sheer joy that I, I just think it's funny. Like I, I like not funny in a bad way, but funny in like a, it's a, it's such a cool video to, to see both the one that says, okay, here's the relay FM alphabet. And then the one that follows up and says, all right, you all have asked a lot of questions about how I got to where I am. Here's this video. Um, so <laughs> I like them. I like them both. Um, talk to me about developing that first show that was going to go on this different network right yeah this was a really fun process I was working directly mostly with Mike through this and so I had a couple of ideas and the one that we pursued where I was interested in talking about uh, current events and pop culture and that was not the kind of show that really had had before but they were really cool about being like yeah just pursue this it sounds interesting and I sort of looked among my friend group for a co-host, and we started recording some demo episodes with my very good friend, Jillian Parker, uh, who was also my roommate. We had just started living together. This was our junior year of college, and it just worked. Um, We had really good chemistry. We have different political opinions um, on a lot of stuff, which made (laughs) the show really fun, but we still like very much loved each other and agreed on sort of the basic things uh, of respecting humans and stuff like that mm-hmm. um so it made for a really fun dynamic and then we also talked about pop culture stuff where like we talked a lot about the kardashians and taylor swift and and just had fun with it and so the whole process was basically we started out with that idea we recorded some demo episodes uh mike actually ended up naming the show we didn't have a name for it but in one of our first demos we kept saying that we had mixed feelings about something and that something was Jimmy Fallon. Um, and he was like, I think that's a great name. So that's what we went with. And I'd never worked with an outside artist before for solidly mediocre. I made my own art. It's very basic, but I think it's cute. I like um, it too. Yeah. But Simon Buckmaster is the regular artist with Really FM. He does all of their design work. And so we did some iteration on the artwork. He pretty much nailed it right away, I think. And so pretty soon we had this thing that looked like a show. And from there, it was just a matter of um, recording a couple episodes. One went out as sort of a members only preview. And then we had our regular episode, which launched um, completely coincidentally, one week before the 2016 election. Mm. That's a that's a good time to launch a show. It's called Mixed Feelings, isn't it? Oh, my God, it was a bad time. It was a really bad time. Uh, the show... <laughs> It changed everything. It changed everything for everybody. But like, obviously, the show was supposed to be more lighthearted. And uh, we were supposed to have a lot of political disagreements. um, And instead, it just turned us into us being like very sad, and also very angry a lot. Um, And 
we still had fun with it and we still talked about the pop culture stuff and managed to make it work but it definitely was a much different dynamic than we had developed during the process before the election when we had thought there was going to be a different outcome yeah yeah that that's it's interesting to to hear how external events let's just let's keep it at that level right like how external (laughs) events um can really influence the creative process right i mean because they do and Sometimes we acknowledge that they're influencing the creative process, and sometimes I don't know if we are able to, at the time, acknowledge how much they're influencing the creative process. But why did you want to start podcasting? Like, why did you want to start putting yourself out there and talking into uh, technology? For me, it was it just felt like a very natural thing to do. I don't know. People ask me all the time why I started podcasting, and it seems like it was so long ago now that I really can't even remember what or if kind of decision-making process there was behind this. I loved podcasts. I was so into them. And I just decided to start making them. I was just emulating what I saw. If you look at my earlier shows, like it's so modeled after the kind of conversational shows I was listening to. The artwork looks like it's a ripoff of a Relay FM artwork, which I didn't intend to at all. But that was just like, like subconsciously, I was just trying so hard to emulate what I was interested in. And I think that for me, it was a very natural thing that was like, oh, of course I should start doing this. And it like no one was listening to it and I didn't even care at all. Like obviously I wanted people to listen to it, but it was just this idea of like, oh, I'm making a podcast now. Like this is the fun thing that I get to do. And now I get to see experience how this works from uh, this side of it rather than just listening. And I had done some uh, film stuff in high school and I knew how to like, I knew my way around iMovie. I knew my way basically around GarageBand. So for me, it was uh, pretty simple to sort of figure out the basic technical side of it. And from there, I was like, great, why not do this? How long did Solidly Mediocre stay around? And then how did, did you have to balance things once you started um, Mixed Feelings? Oh, yeah. it. Uh, we did continue Solidly Mediocre until I graduated, more or less. But it was very inconsistent after a certain point, just because it was so dedicated to people being kind of in person in the same room. And so when we were on breaks, it was difficult to get episodes. And um, when Mixed Feelings started, like, obviously, that was a much higher priority. It was a regular weekly show. It was on a network. People were actually listening to it. And it, people did start listening to Solely Mediocre kind of after I had a little bit more of an audience. But there definitely was a lot fewer people. So it definitely fell by the wayside. And it's still, like, it's – we never officially ended it. But there hasn't been an episode um, since we graduated from college. So, you know, I think one day I'll, maybe I'll do a reunion show. But it definitely <laughs> awesome. – I sort of like looked at what I was doing and I had to make the decision of like, what is the priority here? And obviously my first priority had to be school because I was a full-time student. Mm -hmm. And then after that, it was mixed feelings. And then it was like sort of everything else I was doing had to come after those two things. Okay. So then when did, when did setting the stage and corner of the sky enter into the picture? Oh yeah. So we did corner of the sky started in, June of 2017 so it's like about six months later and that was just a project that I really wanted to start I love musicals so much and I was in a musical theater show choir so I had a lot of friends who loved musicals and so I wanted to do this show and it was just this really basic concept someone just comes on and talks about their favorite musical for an hour and so that was another thing too that I 
once I started making podcasts, I was like, well, clearly I have to keep making these uh, forever and I need to have <laughs> 10 of them. Uh, this is possibly awesome. <laughs> you can I also no, say this again. Like, I, have, I have no idea what that feels like. I have no idea what that feels like. Yeah, I think this is a very natural thing. And I also think it's like, again, with the kind of people I was looking up to, sort of like a lot of people on Relay have like five podcasts because it's just, we just keep starting them. Um, <laughs> and I launched the show in June uh, and then Jason Snell reached out to me like immediately after I put out the teaser um, and he was like, hey, uh, would you be interested in hosting the show on The Incomparable? And here's the part that's a little embarrassing is I from the beginning of this idea thought that it would be a good show for the incomparable but was too shy slash nervous about it to pitch jason directly um we followed each other on twitter and like he's he's on relay and so we like kind of do each other so obviously i said yes and we moved the show there immediately but i wish that i had been confident enough to just pitch my idea that i like was excited about to the person that I thought would also be excited about it. And I was not, but it worked out in the end because he's very nice and reached out and like took that initiative himself. So now from that point on, I was also a regular member of the incomparable, which does a lot of like panel shows and stuff. So I've been over there popping up on different things and working with different projects. And then corner of the sky is seasonal, which is how I survive. So uh, basically it's shaken out to, there's about, one season a year and there are about 15 episodes um and that has (laughs) allowed me to continue doing that show um because if I was trying to do an episode of that every single week it just it would not be able to happen um but by making it seasonal where it's like okay we're doing this for like a third of the year there's an episode every week then that's much more feasible Uh, get us into um setting the stage and and then i the one i didn't even mention before is pictorial um talk to us about how how those originated i have so many podcasts yeah it's great setting a stage is very different from anything else i've ever done it is a mini series it's a four episode series about the creation of a community theater called stage east that's in my hometown of eastport maine and it was really important to me to do because I grew up around Stage East in the Eastport Arts Center, and then when I was in college, I minored in theater, and one day I started reading about my hometown in my readings for class, and that is how I learned that my community theater was founded by a national group of students basically they were like barely out of college who who traveled around the country in in the late 80s early 90s and like made theater in different towns and the one in my town had continued for 30 years and is still around today and I thought this was fascinating so the summer that after I graduated college I went home for the summer and I was working and I interviewed about a dozen people from my hometown and got the full sort of oral history of this and turned it into a four-part miniseries about the whole story. So was that one a I assume that one when it was a produced like you had an idea you had a flow you said I'm going to create x number of packages of information and and deliver them that way uh is that is that accurate Yeah it took me so long to make that um I basically I like I did all the interviews and I at that point I had a really good sense of the story and so I kind of I outlined it and I figured out it would be about four episodes I'd outline the episode and then I would make an episode and it would like disrupt my outline and then I have to re-outline everything and things definitely shifted back and forth as I as I made it. Um, 
I've learned a lot doing that because it was I hadn't made any kind of narrative content content like that before but it was sort of a big experiment for me and seeing if I could make narrative content and uh, I can I learned a lot in the how I did it poorly while I was doing it but I'm really proud of it in the end yeah so so I'm gonna jump the gun and then I'll let you talk about pictorial yeah you have done a weekly show you've done a show that's seasonal you've Mm -hmm. done a show that is much more planned and we're going to have a certain you know packets of information and then you uh pictorials uh from what from what i'm seeing here is it's a every other week show roughly Mm -hmm. um what's your favorite style like if you had to pick one of those styles which one would you want to do and then why why is that your favorite style so i'll start by saying my least favorite is weekly shows you'll notice (laughs) i do not do that anymore oh my god uh that is something i mean Lots of people do weekly shows, obviously. It's very feasible. But for me, I found it incredibly exhausting, um, especially when it's when like my own creative projects are not my full-time job. It's very difficult to do. I am really liking the bi-weekly that we're doing with Pectorial. Um, so Betty and I, my co-host, will record... We'll, we'll tend to batch them like a little bit where we'll record three episodes every week and then those will come out over the course of the next of those like six weeks and then we'll record like a few more. And so that way it allows us to have a little bit more flexibility. We can kind of get ahead instead of like always recording next week's episode this week. And it, it, I just feel very rushed um, and like I don't have enough time to put in the amount of research that I wanted to put into things. So mm-hmm. I think biweekly might be my favorite all right, so now get us to pictorial, and what's the what's the origin story there? Yeah, so mixed feelings ended when I graduated from college. Um, I loved doing that show, but Jillian and I were graduating. We would no longer be living together, and Jillian was about to start her career in finance. So uh, basically, she works twenty seven hours a day. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And like it's. It's actually ridiculous. Um, I'm sometimes very concerned about her. I love her very much, um, and we're still very good friends. But there was no way she was going to be able to continue to do a podcast. And I was really not interested in continuing the show with a different co-host. I feel like the show was like very based on our particular chemistry. Mm-hmm. And also, I kind of wanted an escape from talking about the news every week. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah, so we found a nice round number to end it on um, in our senior spring of college. And then I started working on my next idea that I wanted to produce for Relay FM. I just really liked being part of the network and I like these people. And so I was very invested in sort of staying in that sphere. And they were like, they didn't kick me out or anything. Um, they said I could take as much time as I wanted to sort of figure stuff out. But I had this idea for doing an art history podcast where the focus was on the love of learning and of exploring new topics and basically learning things with the audience instead of being like, I am the expert and I'm going to teach you now. And I had that idea for over a year before I found a co-host. I just sort of sat on it and I was looking for like who would be the right person to make this with. And I found Betty, um, Betty Chen of the art YouTube channel Articulations. She's wonderful. And I found her YouTube and I watched a bunch of it and I cold emailed her and I was like, so you don't know me, but I have this idea. I think you'd be great for it. How do you feel? And she answered and she was like, I was thinking about making a podcast. This sounds like a great idea. Let's talk. And from there, it was a very similar process to the first podcast I developed with Relay, um, except that I kind of knew what I was doing more. So like yeah, we sure. did, all, Betty and I did all of that development work sort of ourselves in terms of the title and and 
working out the show, making demo episodes. And then once we had all that set, I sent everything over to Mike and Steven. And I was like, here's my pitch for my next show. What do you think? Um, And then we spent several months figuring out the art. That was a process. And then the show launched in December of 2019. See, look at at your journey, though. Like, it's it's so cool because you had said before, I wish I'd had the confidence to just cold email Jason and be like, Jason, Corner of the Sky needs to be on Incomparable. (laughs) Like, come on. Right? And here... Like, I don't know what Betty's following was at the time when, when you reached out to her, but you were just like, hey, you're pretty cool, and I think I want to do the show with you. Would you do the show with me? Right? Like, what, a, what an interesting, what a cool journey. Did you like developing the show better, like, uh, without a third party involved? Because the first one, Mixed Feelings, you developed with a third party involved. This one, it was really just you and Betty, and then you pitched it to the network. What, like, what, what style did you like better? Oh, interesting. I feel like it was relatively the same for both, but it was just the first time I needed more help in terms of what I needed for the show. So uh, the people at Relay's role in that was more of telling me like, okay, like here are the things that you need. And then I would go off and do them and I'd send them back and they were like, great. Okay. This is all looking good. Like, here's what you need next. Versus when I was doing it by myself first, I just sort of already knew all of those things. So I was able to be like, okay, here's everything that I need to take this to you. So that's already set now. And we can just like sort of jump ahead in this process. Nice. Okay. So that we've talked about a lot of different creative works you also do freelance editing right so you in my mind when I talk about talking to the internet right I talk about it as broadly as possible so words voices video um, in my mind you talk as much via producing shows or helping produce shows or editing shows how does that play into or how do you think about that when you're editing a show what's your thought process through you know, helping helping others and or putting your voice into the show. Oh, yeah. I talk way more through my <laughs> freelance editing than uh, my own words, actually, because so that's my full-time job now is for almost a year now, I've worked entirely in podcasting. Um, and so I, I work as an editor for a bunch of different shows, and I'm an in-studio engineer for uh, some of those as well. And yeah, it's a process. Um there are some shows where I have sort of more editorial freedom in the sound of the show in terms of shaping like more decisions about parts of it to take out or uh, moving stuff around. And some it's very clean cut, like you're editing an interview between two people, you take out the ums and ahs because we want this to sound very professional, like very basic things. And so there's a huge range. And in most of my work that I do for clients, I'm pretty anonymous some of them do credit me as an editor, an engineer or something. Um, a lot of them don't. So a lot of times my role is to be as invisible as possible. And I, I think that a lot of times with a good podcast edit, the point is that it doesn't sound like it's edited. Even though it's probably been edited up the wazoo to make it sound like that, it's trying to sound as natural as possible. And so it's a very different kind of work than developing your own show or, or talking yourself but I do like find a lot of joy in that and I'm a big nerd about it. Like when I can take someone's mangled sentence and make it sound like they said it correctly on the first try, I'm very proud of that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Do you edit your own shows? Oh yeah. Okay. Oh yeah. I don't I can't I can't stand the idea of other people editing me. Um <laughs> <laughs> 
I mean, I do. I am like on the incomparable, and I sometimes do stuff like this, where obviously I'm, I'm not editing everything I'm ever on. But um, no, for me, I'm like, no, that's my baby <laughs> when it's my own show. So, how did you get into editing? Yeah, well, it sort of started from that instinct. When I started making a podcast, I was like, well, I don't have any option but to edit it myself. I'm just making this out of my dorm room. Like, who else is going to do this? And then when I started at Relay, I was like, okay, cool. Like, I'll edit my own show. Like, of course, that for me, that was just, that wasn't even a question. Like, of course, I'll edit my own show. This is something that I'm shaping and I want to make sure it's shaped exactly the way I want to. And I'm so glad I edited Mixed Feelings because Jillian and I got really off topic all the time. And so it would have been very <laughs> embarrassed to have someone else edit that. <laughs> And it used to take me so long. It took, I like the whole, but it, when I started making mixed feelings, I'd only ever made like a dozen episodes of a podcast. And so I was not very good at editing and I was very slow at it. And I made that for a while and I made Corner of the Sky. And then I moved to Chicago where I live in uh, September of 2018 um, after college. And I'd been podcasting for years. I had taught myself editing. I knew how to edit in Logic pretty well. And I'm, I'm, I'm entirely self-taught. I've never taken any kind of like class or anything in editing. It's all just sort of doing it and figuring out as I go and occasionally learning something that makes me go, oh my God, how have I not known that this entire time? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But uh, I moved to Chicago where I knew a wonderful person in Alex Cox, um, who is the best. And I have been friends with them for a while through the internet and podcasting and all that. And when I moved here, they said, hey, we want to hire someone to edit Dubai Friday, um, which is their podcast with Max Temkin and Merlin Mann. And I said, oh, okay. Uh, So I started working with them and they liked my work and I'm still editing that podcast every single week. From there, like it just sort of continued in terms of uh, I was working out of the studio in Chicago and when people needed help with a podcast, then Alex would kind of help direct them towards me because they they knew I was looking for work. And I just sort of built up my client base one at a time. And I kept getting better and better at it as I was just doing it more and learning more and more. And then after about six months of working part-time jobs and sort of building up that client base, I was able to go full-time in podcasting uh, June 1st, 2019. Wow. It's funny because I I thought I was really good at editing by the time I got to Chicago. And then after about a year of like editing five or six shows a week, I learned that I was still very bad. And now I think I'm good at editing. (laughs) So what will be your next what will be your next hurdle that will make you go, oh, I was still I was still really bad before. And now I'm even better. Yeah, exactly. Like I'm sure a year from now I'll be like, oh, honey, you were not good at editing last year. Yeah. Um, What if I if I made you pick one of the two? Right. So you either have to or you sorry, you're only allowed to edit podcasts or you're only allowed to actually make podcasts. Which one would you do? That's diabolical. I know. This isn't even the unlightning round. Like wait for the unlightning <laughs> round. Oh no. That's really hard uh because I think that being on a podcast is so much fun and it is really creative. But I also think that ultimately editing is like my true love in a way um it's what i spend most of my time doing i do feel creatively fulfilled by editing even when i'm editing other people and so i think when it comes down to it i probably would put pick to to hang back and stay on the editing side okay and then because this is the only natural question that comes out of that response do you have to edit from your 
home base? Like, do you have to edit from your place or do you like to edit out at a coffee shop or somewhere else? Not right now, obviously, but in, <laughs> in general, do you like to edit somewhere else? Oh, in the before times, um, I would edit all over the <laughs> in place. In the before times. <laughs> So I do like I do work at home and I have a desk at home and I have a setup here and everything. But um, I mean, I don't have like a monitor or anything. I just work off of my laptop. So I'm very mobile. Um, I most of the time would work in a co-working space where which is also where the podcast studio that I use was based out of. So I would actually be there about four days a week. I would say I'd make it down there and work from there. Yeah, but I, I'm still also like luckily very capable of working from home, uh, and so that has that has also been fine. That, that's proven beneficial in our our unique times, hasn't it? Yes. Yeah. The other thing is, with, without giving away clients, because I don't know if you're, if you're allowed to do that, if you even want to do that, are you doing big like production type shows? Are you doing more small indie? type shows or all of the above basically you'll do whatever whatever comes your way kind of all of the above I work with a mix of independent people and companies from like a tiny little show uh, that's just a couple of people who want to make a podcast and have some money to throw at it because they want to don't want to spend the time editing to like a company that is producing a podcast that's like really important for their brand and they would need to hire a professional to make sure it sounds good um to something like do by friday which has like a really fervent audience uh and a big like financial support from their patreon and so they're like great like this is the time to to sort of have an editor brought into this so yeah there there is definitely a range i like working with people who are independent and who are sort of making passion projects but I also like I'm working with companies is often what pays the bills and so you know I work with a bunch of companies too that's great so that that, that's a that's a side of talking to the internet we haven't really hit on the show yet um is talking in uh, I don't want to say from the background but you know from not right in front of the microphone but doing the editing and making people sound realistically better than than they sound naturally because we all mess up we all blub and um and you know do do different things so that's that's really cool so you obviously are a creative person you obviously have a lot of ideas you you hinted at it earlier how do they make it through your filter like how does an idea make it down to where you start to act on it or you start to act on it so much that you then start putting it out there I try to give every idea some ability to make it somewhere uh and so like pretty much every time I have an idea I will immediately tell someone um (laughs) I'm not one of those people who just like keeps everything to myself I have a couple of good friends that are sort of my go-tos where it's like as soon as I have an idea I'll be like what do you think about this and then depending on like how they react and how I feel about it I'll try to start working on it in some form of the other and then if I find that if I start working on it and it doesn't feel right or I realize it's going to be a huge amount of work that I don't have time to do or or whatever it is, like, I'll file it away. I have lots of ideas that I would still love to do someday that I'm just like, all right, like, now is not the time. This is just going to this is going to go in a box. We're going to come back to that in two to three years. And so part of it is just sort of natural selection in terms of like what is actually seems feasible right now. And then from there, it's really following a gut instinct of like, what do I love the most because I'm very lucky in that I'm able to make a living working on other people's projects that also gives me a lot of flexibility in how I spend my time. So 
that even though like I do have all this work to do for other people and clients, I also am able to control my time really well so that if I want to spend an afternoon just working on a new project, like it's pretty easy for me to make that happen. And so I do have the ability to follow what I'm really passionate about and to choose like, okay, what is actually making me happy to work on? What am I procrastinating on my client work by doing right now? And being able to pursue those instead of trying to strategically figure out like, like I've never been good at strategizing, like what's my next career move here um, in terms of my, what I'm personally making. Mm -hmm. It's really, I just try to make what I actually care about and I've gotten pretty lucky with other people caring about it too. So the, the flip side of that question, right, or the flip side of that thought is shutting something down, right? So I'm, I'm trying to put all the pieces together in my brain. It seems like the only one you've officially shut down was mixed feelings, and that was a fairly natural process because, you know, college was ending and you and, you and your co-host were, were splitting up. But talk about, you know, shutting something down or knowing when it's time to shut something down. So maybe think about one of your projects, and it's like, how would you know when it's done? Yeah, well, I also... Uh, we haven't really talked a lot about YouTube because I don't really do that at all. Okay. But there was a there was a point when I was making YouTube videos and I started to sort of get into it. It was just fun for me. It was another thing. Like I love watching YouTube. I still do. Started making them. Um, and there was a period in like 2018 where I started getting like really into it. I was making tons of videos. I started getting really focused on theater and I had this idea that maybe I could like break out as a theater YouTuber. That didn't happen. And it did get to the point where I realized that just the amount of work that I was putting into it was not giving enough back to me in terms of audience, um, in terms of return on investment, but just like basically in terms of I could sort of get the same things out of making a podcast that I was getting out of making a video sort of personally and, and sort of creative fulfillment way. And it would take a lot less time and more people would care about it. There was there's something like mixed feelings where it sort of comes to a natural end point because of life circumstances. And there's things like my YouTube channel, which comes to a point where I just had to realize that it wasn't worth it anymore. And I had to make that calculation and sort of feel that out for myself. And so if one of my podcasts gets to that point, and I don't see that super happening because I love the topics that my active podcasts are about so much that they're just like things I love talking about all the time anyway. But if it did get to that point where I just wasn't getting enough out of it, then there would be a time to to put that project to bed. Yeah. And I, I love the way you described both the internal and the external, right? Because I think it's a both and I really do. There's got to be this internal drive that wants you to keep going and not procrastinate on the creative thing that you're doing. But also mm-hmm. there's, there is an external component, right? Like that's honest. You know, we want, we want to put it out there. We want to provide value to people. We hope we're providing value to people, whether it's entertainment or education or whatever it is. So that, that's a really good, it's a really good insight. Okay. So what is your biggest highlight of talking to the internet? Hmm. Do you mean like biggest upside or like biggest single moment? Either and both. Okay. I think that probably sort of generally speaking, the greatest thing that I've gotten out of it is talking to people, um, being able to meet people through the internet who are other creators that I've been able to connect with. Like I've been able to make more friends and connections through this than I ever would have dreamed when I first started. Um, And also talking to people who enjoy my work from across the world has been so, so cool. And like the first time that I was at 
a, a conference and someone recognized me was like one of the greatest moments of my life. It was so cool. Like, <laughs> it's just the coolest feeling for someone to look at you and say, I see you and I like what you do. That mattered to me so much. That might be, th- this is a moment that happened at uh, uh, PodCon, the first PodCon, is someone recognized me. And to be fair, it was in Mike Hurley's signing line. So it was like a very self-selected audience there. No, stop. Don't but, don't diminish it. Don't diminish it. It's still awesome. Keep but going. It, it was very sweet. Someone recognized me and they asked me to sign their PodCon like uh, agenda. And it was the only time anyone's ever asked me to sign something. I was very flattered. It was so cool. Um, so that might be one of the single greatest moments. And the other one would have to be when I got the DM from Mike that said, do you want to develop something for Relay? Which is something that I literally didn't think was going to be possible for me and happened almost immediately setting out on this journey which blew me away yeah complete tangent but can you imagine being like a musician that walks out on stage and there are just you know seventy thousand people in the thing and they're all there to like listen to your to your music because i agree with you like i think having the person ask me uh i'll give you a a full disclosure like i got i got my first tip the other the other day right for the show and the fact that somebody would actually go through the process of going in there and like actually putting in their card information and, and you know, they found enough value in the thing. I was like, oh, wow, it had nothing to do with the money. It was this expression of I find value in what you do enough to go through these nine steps to show you that. Absolutely. And it was like, that's that's so cool. And it's just like you, right? Like somebody somebody found enough value in what you did or um, they liked it so much that they were like, I want to I want to ask her to sign this, you know, this thing. Can you imagine being a person who does this every day and like walks around like tours around and there's 70,000 people there and they're all screaming because they want to hear you play the next song I just can't imagine it okay so what was the, what was the other one because you said both and oh yeah so it's it's overall it's talking to people and meeting people and specifically it was that moment of getting recognized or being invited to join relay awesome thanks uh Okay, so now now let's do the flip side of that one. What challenges have you noticed that you weren't expecting necessarily? Oh God, uh, the internet's very mean sometimes, um, and I will say that I understand that you're supposed to like brush it off. I don't. Every negative thing anyone ever says to me sticks with me for a long time. I'm deeply sensitive, <laughs> so uh, that has been diff- really difficult at times. It can be very creatively stifling for someone to be very mean about something that you really, really care about. And so even though like I haven't gotten this a ton, it's not I'm not like getting barraged <laughs> by this, uh, luckily, but it is something that when it does happen is is very deeply affecting to me. And so, you know, that is something that if I continue doing this, I will have to eventually either get over or just be sad forever, I guess. Uh, <laughs> but it is something that's super hard to deal with. What what advice do you have for people who are in the creative space, but, you know, they're going to get this. It's going to come at some point. What what advice? Oh, man. Uh, I guess a couple of things. One, just be prepared for it and, and understand that it is going to happen eventually at some point. And understand that one person's opinion doesn't make or break you if you're making something and someone doesn't like it that just means that the wrong person found it um there's always going to be people who don't like what you're making and they're not important to you who's important to you is who is going to like what you're making and you're trying to find those people 
And what's sort of a practical tip to help that is to have a couple of people of those have a couple of those people on hand. So like make sure that you have some some friends or family, like people who are close to you who do consume what you make and who do like it Mm -hmm. um, and who are there to say like, hey, I really liked that last episode of your podcast. Um, And I'm not saying that like, (laughs) don't go out and be like, compliment me. (laughs) Although you can, like if that's what you, if you're feeling down, you need people to compliment you, like ask for that attention. That's great. Um, But I'm saying that like having people in your life who who also genuinely care about what you make, even... um, can help so much overall because if you see a review that's like this is terrible and the next day your friend is like hey i really like that episode then it really helps you put in perspective like oh okay like everyone does not hate me some people don't like what i make and that's okay i'm not talking to them yeah this is a similar thing in in my you know real job my normal job is we get comments from students at the end of the the, yeah and yeah like you'll get 15 positive comments and then you'll get two students that say like i hate that i hated this class uh you uh you looked funny when you wore that one shirt and like you focus on those two and you're like oh man i shouldn't have wore that shirt right or, or something like that when you don't even pay attention to the other 15 that were like yeah oh, this was a great class thanks so much it was so much fun so i can i can see that that's that's good advice that's good advice yeah all right other other advice you've given right is the work comes first always right so if you go watch the video you know where Quinn's telling us about kind of that transition um into into relay you know you state the work comes first always um do you want to elaborate on that or what other advice can you can you give somebody who's interested in starting to talk to the internet in whatever form uh, but they haven't necessarily done it yet yeah okay i have a little bit of advice uh the whole idea of the work comes first is um yeah what i was talking about in that one video about how i joined really fm and what i mean by that is that you shouldn't be pursuing something because you think it's going to get you somewhere else if you are making a podcast for example that's what i know um, it should be because you love making that podcast it shouldn't be because you think you're going to get on some network or you're going to get sponsors or like whatever whatever you might hope to get that's great like have goals but that shouldn't be why you're doing it uh and i i hope that i've made it clear over the course of this conversation that like i do things creatively because i love to do them and because i feel internally driven to do them and i'm someone who's gotten super lucky and that doing those things has allowed me to achieve some of those goals and to get to a place where i can be really happy But I wouldn't have gotten to those things if I hadn't been doing the work first, if I hadn't been putting myself out there to be in a place where I could get lucky, if that makes sense. Yeah, it makes total sense. Yeah. And then beyond that, a couple of sort of different pieces of advice. You're like, okay, great. I'm like doing the thing. I love doing the thing. Uh, What next? Uh, One, lots of people uh, are available who can help you and you should ask for help. And you should be able to be like open to learning new things and and to asking people to sort of teach you something if you think they might be able to teach you something. You should be open to like reciprocating that, making friends. (laughs) But also like no one knows how to get on a network. Like no one knows how to get your podcast listened to. Like people who have extremely successful podcasts do not know how to get people to listen to your podcast. (laughs) So don't ask them that. But ask them like, how do I do this thing in logic? Like, you know, like... (laughs) Focus on building your skills and to build relationships with people before you're trying to build like your iTunes uh, (laughs) top Apple podcast starting show, you know? Yeah, yeah. And then in terms of 
making relationships with people, I want to speak briefly about something that I think has been absolutely essential to my whole journey of talking to the internet, who is my friend, Brian Hamilton, um, who is another podcaster who I met like day one on the scene on Twitter. And we have been best friends for almost four years now. Uh, We met online. We like see each other all the time now. And when I first started out, he like knew a little bit more than me. Uh, so he probably knew a lot more than me actually, but we were still like relatively on the same level in terms of where we were at. And so where we were trying to go, we knew a lot of the same people. And I feel like my friendship with him has been so, so helpful in terms that like, I always have someone that I'm bouncing ideas off of. He can always mm-hmm. like help mm-hmm. me with whatever I'm doing. Just yesterday, we ran sa- sound checks to each other uh, for some different things that we both were trying, like having a group of people or even that one person that's like this person can teach me something and I can teach them something and we can work on different stuff together and like bounce ideas off of each other I think has been absolutely essential for everything that I've done and I really highly encourage trying to cultivate those relationships and find other people who are creatively interested in the same kind of work that you are yeah so that that's awesome uh that's that's one of the things that worries me about you know all the social distancing that we're doing right now is I find that a lot of those, the best relationships are, they happen at conferences or gatherings or, you know, places where people actually get together. They can happen online. Like, so that's awesome. Like yours, it seems like you and Brian were able to make that connection online. Did you, did you get face to face fairly quickly after you had met online? Yeah, I will say, so we both lived in Boston and so, uh, we were able to meet each other in person pretty quickly. And I also like when I first started out, um, I went to the XOXO conference in twenty yeah. in twenty sixteen, sort of right as all this stuff was kicking off, and that was huge for me. And I got to meet like all these people who I'd continued to sort of establish relationships with online, but we did get to meet person person. And like, yeah, unfortunately, that thing that kind of thing does matter a lot, and it can be done online, absolutely, but. Yeah, that is also a bummer part of this. Yeah, I hope I hope we get back to the point where we're we're all physically going to a place and hanging out together again um, and having those side conversations that are that are so fun. Yeah. All right. Are you ready? It's the oh my god! It's the unlightning round time. Sure. Yes. No pressure. All the pressure. As much pressure as I can put on you. Here we go. Dear God. Uh, overall, what is your favorite content on the internet? Oh my god! That's such a big question. Okay. My favorite content on the internet is. <laughs> I love it. It's a huge it. question. Yes, I love the lightning round, the unlightning round. I love it. Okay. Okay. Don't worry. You only have to pick one and it's only recorded forever and ever. So don't worry. I mean, no pressure. I. Okay. I'm going to name a couple of quick things that are coming to my mind and you can't make me pick one. Um, on YouTube, uh, the Unraveled series from Polygon and Brian Daber Gilbert is definitely one of my favorite things on the internet. Anna Akana's YouTube videos, um, and uh, the My Brother, My Brother Me podcast. Everyone listens to it, but it's amazing and it makes me really happy. As well as the Just Between Us podcast and Punch Up the Jam, um, both are incredible, so funny, and I listen to them every single week. So yeah, I picked five things, but I, you can't make me choose. Okay, I was gonna say you did not stay true to the form of the question but we're gonna move to the next one okay overall (laughs) your favorite personality on the internet what the heck okay Mm, i think that i have to pick uh 
You know what? I'm just going to go on instinct. Um, uh, <laughs> and this doesn't mean you don't like other people. It I know. It's so hard. Okay, I'm making I you answer a question. I like so many people. Okay. I'm going to pick um, Ashley Ford. She is a writer and a podcaster. And I just think she's super interesting and has a really valuable voice. And I follow her on like every platform and read everything she says. Awesome. All right. A creator a show or some content that you would deem to be on the rise. It's something that the listeners of our show should check out. They should definitely go look at it or listen to it. Hmm. Hmm. You know what? I am going to say two headed girl, which is made by my friends, Alex and Maddie Cox, but it's incredible. And I do think it's on the rise and is doing really great work and everyone should listen to it. Did, did it win an upgrade? I did, it did win an upgrade. Yes, I, I think it won so. best new show. Yeah, yeah, I thought so. Okay, all right. Um, and then you're only allowed to listen or watch one piece of content on the internet, and you can like you can watch it in perpetuity. So like you have to pick like a channel or a podcast or something like that. Which one are you going to pick? I okay. I honestly think I would pick Punch Up the Jam, the podcast. I love this podcast so much. It's so funny and interesting. And I've heard every single episode. And you know what? They can just keep making it forever. I'll just keep re-listening to all the old ones. I picked that. Give it. Give me 15 seconds on what Punch Up the Jam is. Punch Up the Jam is a podcast where they take a popular song. They break it down line by line. Um, it's uh, hosted by Mia Bredo. Demi Adijawebe used to be a regular host. He's no longer on it. And there's a different comedian on every time. Uh, they break through the whole song. It's really funny. And at the end, they punch it up, which basically they make a really interesting parody of it, usually, okay. Okay. Uh, based on the conversation that they had. Nice. All right. And then the last most important question, the final you know, the, the whole show hangs on this question. Can you tell us more about your handle, Aspiring Robot? What a question. Okay. Aspiring Robot uh, came from a couple things. The, I had this idea that I wanted to have a handle that was not just my name. I don't really remember why, but that was like a really thing I had. And I was interested in the concept of robots for the reasons of it was kind of a theme in The Incomparable. There's like a show called Robot or Not. The symbol is a robot. Um, so it was kind of like a fun thing playing off of that, as well as there's a song that I love by my favorite singer, Tessa Violet, called Make Me a Robot, um, which is very sad, actually. It's a super sad song. But the, it was this idea of wanting to lose your emotions and to become a robot. And for me, it really spoke to me in terms of the idea of wanting to achieve perfection in a world that is fundamentally imperfect. And so I called myself Aspiring Robot um, of this person who is, it's kind of like dorky and fun, but there's also this layer of like, I want to achieve something that is not achievable. And uh, I'm decided to make something quirky and fun out of that concept instead of focusing on how dark it is. Perfect. Quinn, thank you so much. Thanks for being on the show. Uh, thanks for sharing with us. Thanks for teaching us um, what it's like to talk on the internet and different ways to talk on the internet. Uh, where can people find more about you? Well, uh, you can follow me on Twitter at aspiring robot FM and on my website, aspiring that has pretty much everything I've ever made on it. So if you're interested in anything I've said, it'll be on there. Thanks so much. Um, for those of you out there listening, thanks for listening to the show. If you want to find more about uh, talking to the internet, you can go to our website, talking to the internet.com or uh, check us out on Twitter at, at TTTI podcast. Thanks so much. Thanks for learning with us and look forward to uh, visiting with you at the next show. Thanks.
This has been a Shwa Shwa production.